Hello, and welcome to the Network Collective Community Roundtable. In this episode, we're going to be exploring and maybe even doing some predicting as to how SD-WAN is going to change and evolve the way we build enterprise wide area networks. So joining me as always is the infamous Tony E. And also <laughs> is my uh, my friend, my coworker, and probably one of the most experienced SD-WAN guys that I know, Mike Pfeiffer. So settle in and we'll be right back with today's episode. Before getting started, we want to tell you a bit about today's sponsor, and that is Unimus. Unimus is a fast-to-deploy and easy-to-use network automation and configuration management solution. You can learn more about how you can start automating your network in under 15 minutes at unimus.net slash nc, and we're going to talk a bit more about them later on in the show. Again, that's unimus.net slash nc. So, uh, so let's get to it. But before we get to it, actually, let's not get to it. I want to talk to Tony for a second because Tony, you've been working on like a massive deployment project, and I want to hear about this project. So, what are you doing, and how's it going? Yeah, yeah, I've been really, really busy, and I've been enjoying it a lot. Um, this is a firewall migration project, so it's uh, with uh, uh, Palo Alto firewalls, and I'm going from multiple vSys physical appliances into breaking those out into multiple VMs. And uh, going physical to virtual, there's definitely a ton of gotchas. So there's a ton of engineering that goes on under the hood to make this successful. And everything that I'm doing is to make these migrations as quick and as efficient as possible. So what we're able to do, if everything goes right, is do a full site cutover, um, which is failover, bring in the virtual firewalls, two of them, HA, and then fail back in all in about 15 minutes. And, um, and of course, there's tons of validation afterwards and stuff like that. But this is going pretty well. Um, I have over 150 sites to do. I've done about 30 so far. So I'm pretty busy, um, but I'm loving it. I mean, this is, this is what I was put here to do. This is networking. This is security. This is the, you know, the latest and greatest and next-gen firewall. I, I can't be happier. This is what I'm here, for, here nice. to do. I don't know the last time I heard someone excited about doing a firewall project, but more power to you, man. Like whatever. Uh... <laughs> oh, I, I absolutely love I'm it. Firewall yeah. rules. Oh, it's good. That's awesome. That's awesome. And so you know what Mike, you get to man, find? You, oh. you know what you get to find? You get to find all of those uh, uh, inefficient and misplaced firewall rules. Now that I'm, you know, really taking in these old firewall rules and looking at them to make the migrations, you get to see where people might have snuck in a very broad rule. You know, maybe they were fixing a ticket one day and they left in a pretty broad um, allow this IP address to anything uh, that shouldn't be there. And you get to increase the security posture for the organization overall. So so it's really good, like cleaning the skeletons out of the closet and getting that done as well. Are you feeling all right? Like, I don't I don't know that I've ever heard of someone excited about that type of job. Jordan, I mean, it's good. What, it's good work. Yeah. No, 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 no. I connect things. I build the pipes. The firewall rules have never been the exciting thing. It's never been the exciting thing. Firewalls are only are fun to the point where you do the routing. And because they're firewalls, they're never really fun because, <laughs> well, they're just broken routers, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> no, man, just giving you a hard time. No, that, yeah. that's actually, it's, it's really cool. It's, um. I've done those types of projects, man, and it's super tedious sometimes to do all those firewall rules and whatever. Yeah, interesting. So, yeah. so we'll, we'll we'll talk again uh, at sixty sites or eighty sites. We'll see if you're just as excited. But I'm glad that you're excited about it now. Yes, yeah, September will be done. Nice. So, Mike, how about you, man? Thanks for coming on the show. This is your uh, first time on Network Collective. Uh, it's, we've known each other for a few months now. I mean, well, since the last, it's almost a year now, <laughs> uh, we work together at WWT, right? So that's cool. Um, so, but Mike, why don't you give a little bit of background about who you are and what you do? Yeah. So thanks for having me guys. I'm a uh, Mike Pfeiffer. I'm a technical solutions architect at worldwide technology. Like Jordan mentioned, um, I've been in the industry for 13 years now. I got my start in the United States air force. So I got to do a lot of cool things there. Uh, actually working on technology from the 1970s, which was really interesting because it, it kind of gave me a little bit of perspective that I wouldn't otherwise normally have gotten. And then immediately after getting to my first duty station, I went back into the 21st century, getting, uh, getting to work on some really cool tech. Um, so kind of had a pretty interesting career, but uh, that's kind of me in a nutshell. Cool. And uh, so you and I, I mean, we aren't exclusive to this, but we do a lot of SD-WAN together. So we're here to talk about SD-WAN today. And uh, and so like, I think that as we look at, I mean, because we're talking about looking into the crystal ball a bit and trying to figure out what SD-WAN looks like as we move down the line here. 
But to do that, I think we kind of really have to look at, you know, what was the original promises? Like, what, 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 why is SD WAN and why was it so, um, <laughs> why was it so hyped when it first came out? Why were people so excited about it? What were the things that, that were going to solve all of our problems right when it first came out? And so, Mike, I don't know if you have a perspective on some of those first, um, those first features, those first, you know, like really compelling things about SD WAN. What do you think were those drivers? So, you remember, I don't know, what has it been, like five, six, seven years, eight years now? It's kind of hard to pinpoint exactly when this conversation started. But people were really concerned with the hybrid rent, the hybrid WAN, right? So they had an internet circuit that was function, functioning primarily as a backup. They had a private WAN circuit that was their primary transport. Um, they started looking at it as a lot of kind of like lost potential there, right? You've got all this money sunk into the circuit. You're not using it. It's only for failover purposes. Sometimes it doesn't always work right. Um, so how can we begin to aggregate these transports and make better use of them, right? Because we're already paying for them. And believe it or not, uh, the internet is a pretty viable transport. Um, where I had worked previously, you know, we ran north of 6,200 branches in the United States uh, on internet, single internet transport, right? And that ran a multi-billion dollar business quite effectively. So people were looking at this, I have the circuit, the quality has gotten good, why am I not using it? And that was kind of the impetus for the conversation to, to launch SD-WAN. Or at least one of them. Yeah, for sure. I think I think a lot of things were just about efficiency. Like, and I think a lot of things fall under that e efficiency heading. And so I think you brought up the idea, like, I have two circuits. Why can't I use both? I, right. the, amount of, the amount of times I've had an executive ask me that question and the amount of times since I've gone into the more consultative side of the business that I've heard executives ask their people that question and then ask me that question, <laughs> you know, as well as why, why can't I use both? Like that, that's just one of those common things. I'm paying for both of these circuits. When things are good, why can't I send traffic down both of these things? Um, so it's really about that speaks to that efficiency thing. I think some of it is cost. We, we get yeah. the core, the core network costs going up now. We've had this conversation a few times on Network Collective that I, you know, I not, I've stated I don't think cost really is a great driver for SD WAN. I think it, it's possible that you can save money. I mean, it's not out of the question. People aren't lying to you saying that you can save money, but at the end of the day, it, you you're going to augment your expensive circuits with internet circuits if you're going to remove them, and most likely you're going to do them at four, five, or ten times the capacity because you're going to use what you already were spending. <laughs> To get a lot more bandwidth, because getting a lot more bandwidth solves a lot of problems, and so yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's a good point. Not to not to cut you off there, but oh, you, know, right. you know, just thinking down the cost track as well, right? Uh, the story around circuit savings is one that was told originally, uh, especially in the hybrid WAN days. It's still told to some extent now, um, and some organizations may see an immediate benefit from benefit from that, right? But really, the cost kind of gets wiped out a little bit, right? Like SD-WAN is a new technology. You have to refresh it. You have to get it deployed. You have to go through that whole cycle again. So you're going to incur some upfront costs to get this technology into your organization. But what you're going to save may not readily be, a, uh, I don't know, available in a dollar amount, right? So if you think about how I'm bringing this into um, a fully managed and orchestrated solution, and the time that I can ultimately save from an operations perspective is I need to make configuration changes down the road, is if I is I need to update software to all these devices, you're gonna begin to see that at a much later time, right? So the, the realized cost savings benefit is more down the road, more long-term. It's a little more intangible than the initial purchase and reduction of circuits. Yeah, that's definitely true. I, I the real when I have this conversation, I'm trying to frame it as like cost is definitely a component of it, but it, it, the reality is at the end of the day, you're probably going to spend a little bit more. But, yeah, but, for a better so, quality yeah. of experience, right? Like you, you pay the premium, you you, you go to the good <laughs> restaurant to get the the premium steak, right? Exactly. But you're going to have all of these additional things that you can do that would have been challenging to do without SD WAN technologies that you have foregone because they were too complicated without this system in place that you now can take advantage of um, things like policy based, based routing at scale. Yes, um, you yeah. know, those types of, those types of things or traffic engineering, only the biggest and baddest organizations were doing traffic engineering on their own 
because traffic engineering took a lot of work to make happen and it took a lot of care and feeding going down the road and it took a very disciplined approach and most organizations didn't have that discipline and so they say we're not going to use traffic engineering in in the traditional sense when we talk about like mpls traffic engineering or whatever now we can do traffic engineering because we've got a controller and it's and it's abstracted and we can use this technology so now by 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 paying the cost by paying that premium i'm getting access to these technologies that i wouldn't normally be able to deploy without either completely scaling up my organization, re-architecting my network, or, you know, doing some drastic step to get there. And so yeah. I think that I think there's a, a cost benefit conversation. Cost is definitely part of it, but <laughs> that original rallying cry of you can get rid of all of your MPLS, run across internet and save bucket loads of money. It's not quite it's a more nuanced conversation than that, right? Yeah. Um and and you know, you said something interesting there. Like, I, I, I'm having a flashback to uh, a network architect that I have a lot of respect for. You know, he's kind of a mentor for me. And he told me, he said, Mike, why are you using PBR? And I said, well, you know, this is how I, I came up with the solution. It's going to be perfect. It's going to solve it. And he said, no, you're doing probably broken routing. That's what PBR stands for. And, you know, to his defense, to his credit, when we're doing it in a dispersed manner, when we're touching individual routers and dropping a PBR all over the place to do patchwork here and there, you're setting yourself up for an unpleasant experience down the road, right? Or maybe not yourself, somebody else that's going to come across that because those things don't get well documented. But now that we have a system that controls it, centrally manages it, makes it something that's not hiding in the woodworks to get you at a later date, it's a much more effective tool to do some very meaningful traffic uh, engineering that, like you said, is not typically done in the enterprises. Yeah, PBR PBR was one of those things. It's duct tape, right? It's bailing yeah. wire and duct tape. You, you, it can make you do anything. It's like GRE. I can connect anything to anything. It doesn't mean it's a good idea. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? yeah like, exactly. It gets very confusing <laughs> when, you start, uh, when you start doing that. And so PBR was one of those things. So I kind of feel like it was it was all about either cost or efficiency. And I think you kind of you hit on one of it as well as consistency. So this idea is, you know, mm. we're, we're going away from, you know, from managing a network as maybe tens or hundreds or even thousands of independent nodes. And we're yep. treating it as a fabric. We're treating it as one unit. Right. And so the real differentiator here is that we're adding the controller. So when I when I talk about SD-WAN to people, and I'm trying to under, explain the technology to them. I'm like, there's really the only thing new is the controller. Right, that it's that automation and orchestration piece because what it's doing is yeah. it's taking those technologies we've always had, they've always sat under the surface. Some of them we've used, some of them we partially used, some of them we didn't use at all because of the complexity, and it's automating and it's orchestrating that as in this cohesive unit so that I don't have to think about the network as a bunch of individual devices. I think about the network as what do I want my network to do as a whole. And and I and I kind of that's the way that I build my my configuration and that's managed from these controllers, right? And so that's really the difference is by having the central perspective and the end-to-end -end perspective from someone who's paying attention to that stuff, I'm no longer having to convince each router along the way to do the right thing. Like much like your example with PBR. When you think about PBR, it's like, okay, it's great. Yes, I can make traffic go down this path that it wouldn't follow the normal routing path, but that also then means that I have to go to the other router on the other end and make sure that the traffic comes back the same way. And oh, now now we're going to have three routers in that line. <laughs> now yeah. I have to now I have to touch the third router and make sure that bidirectionally it's making the same decision. You can see that as it as it scales up, it becomes a very hard problem to manage. What happens when you have twelve routers? What happens when you have twenty routers? What happens when you have fifty routers? All of a sudden, it gets very very complicated. And with the controller, it doesn't. Right? With a controller, it says. I want to use these links for this and I want to use these links for this and it abstracts that. The reality is, is that under the hood, it's using that same technology, right? It might be a different implementation of it, but it's the same idea. And so, um, and so like, that's the way that I try to explain it. So I think that that is, it's efficiency, it's cost, um, and it's consistency are the real, the real driving factors that at least were initially like SD-WAN was the hotness, right? Like that was, the, everyone was talking about it. Everyone was it. And this is probably a good time to bring up the idea of the of of the Gartner uh, hype cycle, <laughs> right? I I think this is one of the probably one of the most valuable tools in all of networking when it comes to understanding where a tech is, um, and to not become so frustrated. It's still frustrating. I'm not going to lie, but not to become so frustrated because you know it's going to follow this path because all new innovative tech does, mm -hmm. right? 
So you start off with that with that uh, initial innovation, whatever it is. It's usually you know some incremental level of change on something we've done for a long time, but it makes life easier. Everyone gets super excited about it. All the VC dollars come out of the woodwork, and everyone's throwing you know millions and billions of dollars around, and there's all kinds of craziness going on, and everyone's super super excited. And once the money starts flowing, it's when we get to that second second phase, right? And it's that phase of inflated expectations. And that's where like this thing will literally, you know, butter your bread for you. It'll wash your car. It's going to give you a massage at the end of the night. Like, I mean, like it's going to do absolutely everything for you. Oh, oh, by the way, it's going to run your network too, right? Like it's going to do absolutely everything. And this is where the marketing departments get a hold of it. I love marketing. Marketing is one of those things that has to happen. They, you know, it's part of the economy of networking, right? You have to have people out there, you know, sharing what things can happen, but it gets out of hand. Because these claims, like at the, at this phase, maybe like 0. 0.1, 0. 0.2, 0. 0.5% of companies out there that exist have actually deployed this thing. No one's actually seen it in the real world. Like we're still talking about hype and we're talking about theory. We're talking about products that haven't even been released yet. And it just hits this like fevered pitch. And SD-WAN did this for me in like the worst way. Yeah. We're talking about SD-WAN so early in the process and we were talking about things that just simply didn't exist. Like yep. they just straight up didn't exist. Like th- that was the hype and it was just, it was there. And then what happens after that? Well, I mean, the, the very predictable outcome of that is, is you become disappointed, right? Like the tech doesn't do what it needs to do. So when you start implementing these alpha and beta implementations of this thing has been overhyped, you enter the trough, or, trough of disillusionment, which is my favorite networking term, the trough of disillusionment. Because like, I feel like so many times this is where... This is where a product either makes it or dies. <laughs> yeah. It, it's where it's, people have lost hope, right? Like, yep. I've lost it, hope that this thing is going to be as good as what everyone <laughs> promised me it's going to be. And either this thing is actually going to really deliver some value and it's going to pull us out of that, or it's not and it's just going to vanish. Yeah. And that's and I, the danger of inflated expectations, right? Like early on, if you overhype it, if you oversell it, if you overstate what it's capable of doing you almost create that bed for you and for your product right the the trough of disillusionment may not necessarily need to happen if you take it to market with reasonable expectations but you know can you can you label (laughs) one one product in the past 15 years that hasn't come out with hype Heinz 57. No, Heinz, when did Heinz 57 come out? That's a good sauce. Not past but. 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so I mean, like this is just this is just the way of the world, right? Yep. And so, like, I think uh, it, it happens. And then after that, if the product makes it through that, if people still are giving it some some trust after that, you know, you end up at what they call the slope of enlightenment. This is where we learn what the thing actually does. Right. This is where we, we can put it out there and it actually does something of value for companies. It does something that is worth spending the money on. We're past the hype cycle. It's no longer going to you know do all those things for you. And at the end of the day, we understand what it is and we say, is it worth doing it? And companies are saying yes to some degree. And I feel like that's where we're at it, it, is we're on that slope of enlightenment. And the, and the final phase there is that plateau of productivity. It just becomes standard. It's something that we use. It's something that's ubiquitous. Right. And only the best tech ever seems to really make it that far. And so one of my complaints about this whole hype cycle is that it usually takes longer than a refresh cycle, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So to actually get through the hype cycle usually takes longer than the five to seven years that companies refresh their tech. And so if you buy in too early, um, we're already on to the next thing, you know, or if you don't buy into early, I'm sorry, I got that wrong. If you don't buy in too early, you're implementing it on the back end of something. And if it doesn't make it to this plateau of productivity, as Gartner calls it, we're just kind of, you're kind of out of luck, right? Like you're implementing it and then we're moving on to the next thing, right? But if it if it does hit that plateau of productivity and all of a sudden you start seeing it evolve, and this is kind of the, the direction we're heading today, right? Like if we start seeing it evolve and people start talking about like, what's version two of this? Mm-hmm. What does that look like? What is what is the ancillary techs around, tech around it? How do we integrate it? Um, like that's when you start saying, okay, this is going to be around for a while, <laughs> I'm not I'm not crazy to go spend some money now to go put this in because people are thinking about this in a long term perspective rather than like, can I just suck all the VC money out, get a clean exit? <laughs> and, yeah. Yeah. Yet, right. So and so I th- I think that's where we're at with SD-WAN, which is nice because I think that, you know, like I was really convinced early on uh, 
that this would be a tech that would be both disruptive and valuable to enterprises. I saw mm-hmm. I saw the potential uh, because I saw there's a skill gap in enterprise. We've talked about that on Network Collective, probably not recently, but a while ago. There's there's a real skill gap in engineering. A lot of companies don't like having high end engineers on staff, so being able to implement some of these high end technologies via abstraction uh, is, mm-hmm. is is giving them more intelligent networks and doing some, you know, some good things for companies just in general. And so I had high hopes uh, that this would be one of those ones that would make it through the cycle and kind of come to this idea that like, this is something we're using. And so I think we're living that out now. We'll see if that comes true in the next few years, but now we're seeing the conversation change, right? A lot of those things we're not talking about as much anymore. I know that the cost conversation, like companies aren't bringing that to me as a big deal. As, as we're yeah. talking about it, like it, that's not the driver that I'm hearing. And I'm definitely not hearing the, you know, I hear it like I'd like to be able to use both links, but it doesn't seem like a primary driver. I think that the conversation is becoming maybe a little bit more elevated. Um, it is. It's becoming much more elevated. So, I, I mean, th- that was great. Um, and it's a great way to frame it as well. So when organizations um, get into SDUN, they're looking to solve a specific problem, right? They're looking to bring this in um, to automate, orchestrate, reduce costs, utilize links. Um, it, that's all table stakes functionality. And all SD-WAN should be capable of doing that. And that's where a lot of customers start this journey. But then they start to realize, hey, look, this thing can do a lot of very interesting actions against my traffic. You know, I'm starting to recognize that, you know, I have traffic flowing to public cloud. I have it flowing to SaaS. Um, I may have it going back to on-premises data centers. I may have it going to um, call centers, right? I have a lot of destinations and taking my traffic one direction, one path all the time doesn't really work for me. So how can I leverage something like direct internet access to get my Office 365 out to the internet where it's supposed to be optimized and most performant? Whereas maybe something like Box, I want to put down a security stack so I can make sure that there's no uh, data loss occurring in my network. You know, I can actually take a look at that or, you know, hey, maybe I need to get to AWS or GCP. And what are a couple of ways that I can do that? Should I go through a co-location facility? Should I try to go directly across the Internet to a native VPN construct there? Or should I attempt to do this with another SD-WAN device that's bookended in the cloud? And how do I do this in such a way that it's cohesive and seamless to my users? And oh, hey, guess what? Should one of these paths fail, how do I fail back to a previous path? How do I get resiliency out of my solution while also getting optimization? Yeah, I think you I think you hit on a key point, and that is the conversations being less about how do I connect my branches. That seems like the table stakes thing. And it's more like how do I connect to the services that I use? Yeah. So what so whether that's with um uh B2B connectivity, whether that's that's me to infrastructure as a service, whether that's me to software as a service, like how am I how am I establishing that connectivity? And then how can I use all this intelligence that's built into this WAN technology? to get there. Like, how can I, how can I do that in some way that makes sense rather than just shoving it out the closest internet pipe to me? Can I make some smart decisions if I'm going to uh, some SaaS service out there that I can check what that performance looks like mm-hmm. and send it out of my most performant path and give myself two or three options rather than just pushing it one way or another. Um, so, I mean, like, like that's one of those things. I think the the infrastructure as a service is something that's really interesting both now because you mentioned a couple of the options that are like today options. And that is I can go to a colo and I can establish my presence at a colo and be adjacent to the cloud, get my SD-WAN there. And then you maybe use something like direct connect, right? Like yep. I can, I can, exactly. I, can like, I can give myself that adjacency, um, but not necessarily go directly into the cloud and give myself some flexibility. And we're seeing that a lot with like multi-cloud approaches, like, because I don't want to just build my SD-WAN edge into a VPC uh, because what happens if I want to do it into Azure and I want to be in a VNet? <laughs> now hey, you spend twice the money. That's, right, exactly. That's like a I'm secret. running all these instances across all of these different, you know, compute. What yeah. if I could drop it into a place that was adjacent to all the clouds and then build the proper connectivity from there and have it at the edge? Um, so, I mean, like that's one path. The other one is exactly what I just mentioned. We're going to build, you know, maybe we're all in and we only have a couple of VPCs and we just build, you know, uh, virtual instances of of our SD-WAN appliance inside of our VPC and we're off and into the races and we're connected and we're happy. And you know, it's just, it's just like, it's like a, another branch off of my WAN yeah, or another data center. 
You know, the, the, the funny thing is there, there, there's no right answer to this, right? I mean, I've seen so many different use cases where customers wanted to live natively in the cloud and they recognize, yes, I'm going to spend more, but they're getting something out of it by doing it, right? Of like there's, there's a legitimate justification there, whereas other customers are more inclined to go towards the performance hub where they can aggregate um, those multiple clouds um, into a single set of appliances and still be geographically dispersed enough to get some optimizations out of it. Um, but like ultimately, like it, you're still getting, you're still connecting the user to the service, right? Just the the guts of how it's happening may be a little bit different and nobody can say this is the absolute best way because there really isn't a best way. You, you have options, which is pretty pretty cool about SD-WAN in general is the flexibility it gives you uh, to kind of choose your own adventure, so to speak. <laughs> Imagining those those books you used to get, right? Where, you <laughs> yeah. know, page 72 if you want to do this, up to page 96 if you want to do this other way. So we want to take a minute to break away from today's episode to tell you more about our sponsor, Unimus. Unimus is a network automation and configuration management solution that is designed for fast deployment network-wide and ease of use. Now, in the last podcast, we talked to you about network automation with Unimus and how it aims to make automation more accessible to network engineers without needing to spend weeks setting up and learning complex automation frameworks. Today, we want to talk about the config management features of Unimus and how they can help you with your network operations. Starting off with the simplest concept, and that is configuration backup for disaster recovery. Unimus performs consistent backups of the entire network's configuration and notifies you if there's any failures. If anything breaks, you always have the latest running config immediately available to you. But it's more than just simple backups. As the platform actually analyzes each new config and only creates a new backup point when the device configs actually change. So what you're getting isn't just backups, it's also versioned configuration history for your network. And that ties in nicely with change management. Since Unimus only stores a new change point when device configs actually change, it will notify you when there are changes in your network. And you'll get that notification as a full graphical diff in your email or Slack, anytime something in your network changes. For change management processes, you can easily see when and how device configurations have changed. You can audit configuration changes in a comfortable web GUI with easy to comprehend graphical diffs instead of manually comparing files or looking at configs directly. You can also leave notes and comments on change sets for future reference. The config management functionality, together with the network automation features, help Unimus be a more complete network management system. Unimus runs on-premises, it's multi-tenant ready, and supports more than 140 different network devices types across 90 vendors, or 90, more than 90 vendors. You can get a free, no obligation, unlimited license trial, or schedule a short technical demo call at unimus.net slash nc. That is Unimus. .net slash nc. Uh, so Mike, I mean, like you and I kind of work in the same space. Tony, you might actually have some, some feedback on this as well. And so I might actually point this to you first because you've been quiet there in your corner, in your firewall corner, talking about a I am. I, I'm taking it all in. I'm, I'm learning. I'm learning. <laughs> so, I mean... What do you think the actual like adoption is out there? I'm curious if you guys have like your thumb on this or not. Like, do you think there's a lot of companies out there who are already doing SD-WAN? Do you think the hype still outlives the actual adoption? Like, if you could put a percentage, you know, on on enterprise customers who are actually have like some level of production SD-WAN deployment, would you venture a guess, or is it still just an unknown? Um, no, I, I wouldn't venture a guess, um, but I from what I've seen, and, and I don't have a lot of commercial enterprise customers, that's not my space. My space is, is defense and government. And um, and they're trying to be edgy and, and trying to uh, adopt new technologies as best they can, but they have very specific needs um, that can't use direct internet access um, at all. So, um, so they're not adopting it as far. Um, but I would think that that a lot of this is brought to businesses and enterprises from the vendor. It's not from the enterprise seeking it out to solve their solution. 
Um, I know it's on the tip of every salesman's tongue when they walk into a vendor and I happen to be sitting there. And one of the first things they say is like, oh, we got SD-WAN. I mean, every vendor has this, this magical SD-WAN technology that's going to solve all these problems. Um, and, and, it's, and it does a great job for, for a lot of enterprises that can utilize it holistically. Um, the Fed space is interesting. So Fed yeah. requires, you know, I mean, for secure networks, it needs to be certified. And as yeah. far as I know, like there's only one product. We won't even name names. So there's only one product that's even going down the road of doing that right now. Like we're, we're still a ways away from SD-WAN in the Fed space, at least for any type of secure network. Um, I think that we're we're still having that conversation. We're we're getting closer, but yep, um, yeah. yep. There, it could be a bit. There, there's one vendor that did a, a big um, proof of concept um, in the very early stages um, after an acquisition, <laughs> and um, <laughs> while they proved it could be done, um, it 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 wasn't the direction. It was it was more complicated than what they're currently doing, and it, it just wasn't a good fit at that time. Uh, now things yeah. have matured since then. So, so I'm excited to see you kind of like what you said, what does version two look like? I don't know if I'm ready to look that far down the road, but I'm ready to put some years in between hearing about it for the first time and, and trying to test it again and actually seeing, um, what other vendors and, and how the product has matured and, and see if it can really fit into the spaces where I'm working. That makes sense. So Mike, I'm going to, I'm going to direct the same question to you because I know you're having these conversations. So I am kind of curious what your take is. Are you a bit braver on kind of like trying to pinpoint like what you think the market looks like right now? Uh, you know, I'd be, I'd be doing everyone a disservice if I, I tried to take a stab at percentages, right? I would just be pulling something out of the air. Um, but it doesn't, it seems like the majority of customers um, have not adopted SD-WAN yet. They're still in that evaluation phase. They're still trying to understand it. They're trying to map it to business cases. They're trying to justify the expenditures that go around it, right? Because, I mean, let, let's think about the Fortune 500 right now. Um, you know, pandemic aside, um, none of them are really facing a, a crisis, right, of IT infrastructure. Um, these companies are in business. They've been in business for a long time. They're not necessarily going to go out of business, but there is a driver. There is a need. Um, there is a movement to get the technology upgraded, refreshed, and move into, um, you know, 21st century type technology or, you know, however you want to phrase that, right? So, People are still looking at it. They're still evaluating it. They're still getting their heads around it. They're kind of working through those inflated expectations. Um, in some capacity, they're doing proof of concepts. So they're kind of getting to evaluate how they're going to fit uh, this technology into their particular use case. And like the, you can see them working out that inflated expectations and the trough of disillusionment, right? As they start to feel out the technology because they know when they adopt it, they're going to achieve some great things, but they're still very much in the feel out phase. Now there are still plenty of organizations out there that have been out there talking about their SD-WAN deployments. Um, we've definitely worked with a lot of folks that have done SD-WAN and heard some great things, but I feel like, uh, and I have to kind of go back to, to a college class like years ago, thinking about like emerging technology trends. Right. And, and I forget what the bell curve looks like, but we're still very much on the left side of that bell curve in terms of adoption. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. I, I would say that we're having more serious conversations than we did last year. Right. So, I, you know, like in my experience last year were, you know, some exploratory conversations, um, and I feel like this year there's a lot more serious conversations, people who are seriously looking at it, people who want to do proof of concepts, people who want to get it in. I feel like we're we're finally on that adoption uptick. And so I would, you know, you know, venture a guess where I think it's less than a quarter, right, of companies out there. I mean, just to, just to draw a line somewhere, it's probably less than a quarter of companies out there that have adopted it. So if you feel like you're listening to this and you're like, oh, man, I feel so far behind. I don't think you are. I think that I think that ultimately this is still new. This is still emerging. And this is always one of those challenges when we talk about new technologies is that because of the way the hype cycle plays out, we've gone through the disillusionment. We're coming out the other side. We're talking about V2 well before most com companies have actually implemented this stuff. And that's, yeah. both, that's both good and bad. It's reassuring in the fact that, hey, you're not alone. Um, 
And if you do have SD-WAN deployed at any size or scale right now, guess what? You're an early adopter and you've paid the price. And I'm sure everyone listening there who's done it is nodding with me. Having, you know, lived on the bleeding edge, it's called the bleeding edge for a reason. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and so like, I think, I think that's there, but I think that one of the things that's always a challenge too, is we're talking about an elevated conversation and we're going to move on here in just a second about the fact that, uh, there's some conversations that are happening now, which are going to be almost like V3 of SDN. Yeah. And we're already starting to have those conversations, you know, within the industry from an integrator perspective, we're seeing companies come out with new technologies that are going to going to come around SD-WAN. And we're starting to talk about that, which makes the gap between not having an SD-WAN deployment and having an SD-WAN deployment that's giving you full value. It's increasing by, you know, the quarter <laughs> with, 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 with what's there. That doesn't mean that you can't find value out of it, but I, I think that, yeah, I'm kind of, it's interesting watching these trends. Like when do you decide to pull the trigger so well, that you don't get too far behind and not be able to take advantage of, of all of the things, but like yeah. we're talking, when you get to V3, those are some pretty big, significant changes, right? We're changing architectures and whole ideas of, of concepts because it's okay. First we had SD-WAN, let's plug it into what we've got. Now we're rethinking the way that we connect to the cloud. And now we're rethinking the actual architectures. Like we're, we're rethinking our networks based off of what SD-WAN can do for us. And like, that's a big shift. That's a big difference. I'm kind of curious what your take is there, Mike. Yeah. And, and let me kind of like help take the, the audience's blood pressure down a notch, right? Like they're, they're not going to get left in the dust by any means. If they adopt SD-WAN a little bit later on, that's that's okay because version one of SD-WAN is the automation, the orchestration. It's wrangling your WAN into a single cohesive unit, right? You're still going to be able to do that with whatever iteration comes out next. You may be a little bit slower to capitalize on those newer technologies, those newer paradigms, but you're going to uh, be able to look at what people have done right? You're going to be able to take their, their lessons learned, incorporate them into your own network. You're going to be able to move a lot more comfortably. And then you're going to be able to just leapfrog into version two, version three, once you've established a sound base. So, um, you know, while yes, the accordion is very much getting stretched where you, you still have traditional WANs, then you have traditional SD-WANs, and then you have slightly newer SD-WANs, and then you have the vanguard of SD-WAN, which is potentially morphing into something else. You know, it may seem like you're just, you know, lost, confused, or too far off the beaten path. You're not. You, you can always get back to good. That's nice. I'm sure everyone appreciated your... Uh... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> your dose of, of calming wisdom there. No, and I, I 100% agree. That was a bit leading of a conversation. I think that it's, um, I think it feels overwhelming. Even as somebody who's in the middle of all of this all the time, it feels a bit overwhelming because things are changing so fast. Yeah. And I think that in networking, we're not familiar with that because we had a very static, very straightforward, not a lot of change for a couple of decades. And then all of a sudden, with, with the movement to cloud, has kind of forced our hand. And now we're seeing a lot of what we probably should have been doing incrementally <laughs> getting adopted very, very quickly. And we're seeing a high rate of change. And we're probably going to see that for some time. It's just something we're dealing with. It doesn't mean you have to buy it all off at once, though. Right? It's not, yeah. it's not, it's not, you don't have to, you know, you can generate or build what you call a legacy SD-WAN, which still just makes my head explode. <laughs> we just talked about the fact that, you know, we're, we're, we're still on the early trend of adoption and we're talking about a legacy SD-WAN like that. Yeah. Anyway. Um, but it, but it's true. I mean, so you, you could still build that and still find the value and still take your incremental steps, even if they're, you know, you know, quote unquote behind where, you know, the talking heads are <laughs> right? talking about exactly. You don't have to be that far ahead and you can, you can kind of follow the same path. Letting everyone else live on the bleeding edge—it's okay. <laughs> it really is. Yep. So let's talk about some of let's talk about some of that bleeding edge stuff because I think some of it's super exciting. Um, you know, just to raise the blood pressure again and make everyone feel like they're missing out, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> let's talk about some of the stuff. So, like, we talked about the idea of carrier neutral or cloud adjacent facilities, mm -hmm. and this, I mean these are these are you know let's just call it out what it is. This is the Equinix of the world, and I'm sure many to follow. Um, I think Megaport's another one that would uh, would classify as this uh, to some degree, and we're and we're seeing, you know, the idea that there's 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 some architectures where it makes sense to build into them instead of directly into the cloud, and 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 kind of build a, a almost like a regional hub <laughs> that has connectivity into these cloud services. Um, 
And we're seeing those companies adapt a bit, recognizing the fact that, hey, we might be a really good place to build SD-WAN networks into. <laughs> yep. and, and, and maybe there's a lot of companies that don't already have a point of presence with us. Maybe they're not here. They don't own a rack in Equinix or a cage in Equinix, but they want to be in Equinix. Yeah, let me let me ask you, like, w- what's appealing about this? I'm, uh, you know, pretending I'm a Equinix or a Colo. I'm in 190 countries, right. right? In terms of point of presence, I have all these service providers, cloud providers, um, even own individual providers that have connectivity built into my fabrics. You can tap into that. So why wouldn't you want to put your stuff in those facilities, right? And one of the big prohibitive factors around that is the cost, running rack space, sending gear up, getting everything stood up. What if they got rid of that barrier to entry to be able to capitalize on their presence, their global infrastructure, and they turned over a virtualized solution to you and said, hey, you know what? SD-WAN runs really great as a virtual appliance. It works well in the public cloud. Why can't it work on our own stack of compute? And so some very interesting paradigms are being opened up um, by having this functionality available in these uh, these carrier neutral facilities. Right. And so the, the idea that you could have, you know, a regional hub stood up with, you know, VNF SD-WAN edges. No into a place that has connectivity to literally everything. And that, and that literally is, you know, filling out a form on a website, you know, putting your billing information in and letting it spin up and bring yeah. it into your network. Like it, it, like this is stuff that you've been working on from some, you know, theoretical back end, some labbing that, that you've been doing. And it's really interesting. It's really interesting from a concept perspective. It's early. Right. So like, I don't know that it's fully, you know, production ready yet, but it will be right. And, uh, and it might very well be, I just don't know. Like I'm not <laughs> Equinix. Oh. Don't call me and tell me oh. that you're upset about the fact that I just called your thing, not production ready. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that it's, it's, it's still really fresh, but the idea is, you know, the, all of it makes sense. It's, yeah. a, vir- it's a virtual instance of your, of your SD winage. Can I tell you something really cool that I did today? Absolutely. In like the span of 15 like minutes. Cool Absolutely. I spun up an SD-WAN device in Singapore. I'm sitting here in Missouri. In 15 minutes, I had SD-WAN in Singapore. It's yeah. it's on the fabric. It's connected. Uh, I'm routing to it like 15 minutes. Uh, that's <laughs> and then, I, I couldn't order a pizza in 15 minutes, right? So, I mean, that, that's pretty cool. It's got me yeah. a little excited, but... <laughs> <laughs> And from that, they also then have essentially almost like software-defined connectivity into the cloud. You can order mm-hmm. your direct connect without necessarily having a presence. You're not paying for cross-connects. You're not paying for whatever because you're going into their into their compute infrastructure. And so yeah. it, it becomes a very cloud consumption model. We're used to that. But for network infrastructure to build yourself a point of pre- presence, think about that. Like if all of a sudden your company started building branches and some other place in the world, uh, you don't have to build the backbone connectivity because you can ride that across Equinix. They have a whole global backbone that you can use their backbone, or you could get it from carriers because getting you know carrier connectivity between uh, these huge colos is relatively inexpensive, right? And when compared to doing it like to your own facilities, yeah. And the and public you- cloud taught us something, right? Like we <laughs> saw how the public cloud moves. We see how they do connectivity, how they spin up services, how they're just like this global network that. A global network of convenience, so like stuff we didn't have when we were kids, right? And <laughs> infrastructure is finally coming around saying, oh, you know what? That's that's really cool. What if we brought some of that magic into the infrastructure? And that's what we're starting to see. Right. And one of the things in the cloud, right, is networking is completely different. So for them to build the compute, you know, models that they do, we don't, we can't, we can't dictate how our network's going to look inside of Amazon or inside of Azure or inside of GCP, right? Like we don't get to dictate what that looks like because they have to serve many, many customers and they have to do whatever. Where you have like this service that sits adjacent that can say, hey, <laughs> we can build you like a, a carved off virtual environment that's more of a traditional WAN. <laughs> like we can yeah. do that and we can give that to you so that you can connect into this like hyper specialized cloud compute, you know, uh, section. And we'll do that for you and, and act as your broker. Uh, to make all that happen. And it's a really, really interesting model. Um, And I think it's one of those things that I think we'll see. And it might even just be a gateway model. So the idea is, you know, maybe I need a new point of presence in another region. I can build out the VNF and I can pay that service. Maybe I'm going to pay a premium for that because I'm paying for someone else's compute. Anytime it's someone else's stuff, I don't only have to pay them. I have to pay them so they actually make money off the service, right? But eventually, Uh 
maybe it makes sense for me to have a small quarter rack or a rack of gear in that location. And I use the VNF yes. as, as the way yep. to establish that so I don't have to wait for all the physical infrastructure to get into place. I can build out connectivity. And then, and then while the connectivity is established, I can build out the physical side and then move it to what the permanent solution is going to be, right? There's a lot of flexibility in being able to deliver services that way. And I think it's really, really interesting. Now, that's just the first one, though. I think it, there's, there's almost like a step beyond this, too. And that is that there's some companies out there who are building cloud connectivity fabrics. So, uh -huh. so, so the idea is, is almost like SD-WAN, <laughs> but it's about multi-cloud connectivity via SD-WAN. So rather than you monkeying with all the parts and pieces about transit gateways and, and, and VNets and, and VPCs and all of the infrastructure and how all of that works, you've built a VPC and you connect it into their, their, their cloud connectivity fabric. You take your device, you connect it to their cloud connectivity fabric, and they, they're the, the middleman for all that stuff. And that's all VNF. Right, so now we're not even talking about Equinix. We're talking about almost pure cloud, but in that, like it's 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 this really interesting model where everything is so abstracted. It's SD WAN, but it's for SD WAN for Direct Connect and VPN and all the different types of connectivity, transit between VPCs and, and availability zones. Like there's all of this stuff, and it's built into like this third party overlay that's made all of that hyper intelligent. Yeah. For and, 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 you know, like a lot of what that is, it, it's the SD-WAN concept, right? It's being yeah. able to just wrangle your networks and to manipulate your traffic to go in the way that you want it to go. And, you know, you, you brought up a really good point with the clouds is uh, those cloud providers built their very their networks is very much as kind of like a closed autonomous system. They function one way and this is how they work and you know it may be difficult to manipulate it you may not have what you're used to um you have to kind of unwrap that construct to get the behavior you want out of it so you know like the companies i think you're uh, referring to would be like your alkiras and your aviatrix exactly. um that yeah they, they, they take on um i guess kind of the control plane aspect of how do i uh toggle the api how do i uh flip the switches to get the desired behavior to force traffic the way I want. And, oh, hey, you know what? Maybe I'm expanding out of AWS. I'm going into Azure. How do I interconnect these workloads? Because I do have some servers that need to communicate to each other. Or maybe I'm even trying to migrate. So they do some really interesting things there um, that are kind of learned from SD-WAN concepts. And they're mapped well into the cloud. Right. Very poorly kept secret. Akira is a lot of the same people who built the original Vitella, right? <laughs> yeah. So it's no surprise that they're taking the same model. But what is really interesting is that, and Alcura is very, very new. I had an opportunity to see a briefing on what they've done, what they do, and it's really very, very interesting. And I'm hoping that we can do um, a more detailed uh, deep dive here on Network Collective at some point into what Alcura does because it is, it is, it is very interesting. But the, um, but the one of the things that they do is like as part of their fabric, they'll spin up an SD-WAN edge for you because again, it's just a VNF. Right. And so like um, right now that's limited. We're going to see more of that, but they're going to they're going to spin up a, a, a virtual uh, version of your of your SD-WAN edge. And now all of a sudden the cloud fabric is a branch. <laughs> the yeah. cloud fabric is just one destination, right, of, of your SD-WAN network. And we're kind of well, seeing think about a bit, right? Like, yeah, I mean, think about what the appeal of SD-WAN is here. So, you know, the cloud does have its own native constructs. You can build your own VPNs into it. But with SD-WAN, building VPNs is figured out for you, right, by the fabric. You can spin up one VPN, 100 VPN, 6,000 VPNs, however many that device can, right? And, you know, like, like uh, Russ describes like a, a wasp place, right? And what I really see with that is kind of the, the Waspways functionality is you can put out 6,000 uh, VPNs up to this SD-WAN concentration device that then uh, kind of like tucks it into that like tight little waist and pushes it into the cloud and allows you to expand out to it, right? So that, that's a really cool uh, paradigm that they're doing where they're kind of unifying what SD-WAN could do for the remote locations into the cloud destinations. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's really neat. And I think that we'll be seeing a lot more from companies who do, you know, very similar things. I think that's probably the next market that looks a lot like SD-WAN as, as more and more yeah. people figure out what that looks like. And it's going to become, you, you know, buckle up. Here comes the hype cycle again. Like this is the innovation phase. <laughs> we're going to we're going to be seeing a lot about about this uh, in the coming 
in, in the coming, you know, months and years. Now, now's the fun part. I kind of, we have just a few minutes, but I kind of want to like look in the crystal ball. Like, so we're seeing, we're seeing these innovations and things are changing. And, and we, we've talked about V1, V2, V3. Talk about things that like used to be hype about SD-WAN are now table stakes. So what does it, what does it look like a couple of years from now? Like what does SD-WAN look like? And I'm curious if anyone's willing to kind of go out on a limb and say, I think it's going to look like this, or I think it's going to look like that. And so Mike, I'm going to start with you because you have uh, probably more experience than any of us. Do you think that there's any shifts and changes? Do you think it's iterative? What do you think happens in the coming years? That's a, that's a hard one. Be, if I look at it as it is right now, to me, it feels like a lot of it's still very iter- iterative, right? Like they're, they're trying to work through um, putting additional feature functionality into these solutions. And the reason I say that is SD-WAN has become sort of the kitchen sink, right? When you take on a digital transformation, you know, to, to use that term, uh, when you take on a digital transformation, you introduce SD-WAN into your network. What you start to realize is how do I fit this into the environment? And is it it's always going to be much easier to manipulate the SD-WAN to fit around what you've built than to manipulate all the existing infrastructure, right? Because you have the centrally automated and orchestrated platform to do that. So a lot of customers are still looking for some additional functionality to make that transition easier. So there's definitely going to be some work there. So nothing too exciting, um, but maybe more exciting on the horizon is going to be, you know, another term Gartner's coined recently is SASE, right? Is how do we start integrating security into the solution? How do we get security out to the edge? Is it taking traffic to a secure internet gateway or secure web gateway for inspection where I can use cloud native constructs to scale um, pretty well to be able to do uh, concurrent evaluation of packets to make sure that you know they're, they're actually non-malicious or not bad behavior going on my network? Or do I try and shift that to the SD-WAN appliance itself, um, even getting security even closer to the edge? So I think security is probably going to be the next big play here, right? That's where you're going to see an evolutionary uptick. So it's going to be more that more of that blending of uh, two technology domains. How about you, Tony? Any thoughts as you've uh, yeah. as you've absorbed everything that we've talked about? Like, do you see see any trends you think are worth pointing out? Yeah, you know, um, I, I, I'll second that. I'll, I'll say that that merging security um, into the into SD WAN, um, so that you're verifying every packet that goes through or every session that goes through, um, is just going to be a must. Because um, right now you're passing it once through your firewall or your IPS before it hits the SD WAN, which is the, that routing edge. Um, I think that's all going to be collapsed. Um, definitely in in the near future, very near future, I think that's going to be the next step. Um, what but what I see is, is SD WAN is a great solution for scale, right? Uh, I think you mentioned like six thousand branches. If you have six thousand branches, you need a single controller and orchestrator because that's the only way you can reach that kind of scale with efficiency. SD WAN doesn't make sense for somebody with ten branches. I mean, it makes sense if they can afford it, but it's just as easy for a network engineer to manage 10 routers, you know, it's 10 tunnels to manage, a, a DMVPN is no problem there. Um, what I would like to see is I'd like to see SD-WAN become the sort of de facto standard for even small branches, you know, small organizations. Right now, I think the marketing is focused on large enterprises and people with these massive uh, uh, sites because it's you can't manage them one at a time. And I'd like to see um, the technology... Uh, begin, uh, continue to mature, I would say, um, and become so much simpler that when I have three sites to connect, I'm not thinking about just buying some dumb router that can do tunneling and building tunnels between. I'm buying the SD-WAN appliance because it gives me orchestration, because it gives me network visibility across all my sites, because it does all the other things that I want. Um, I just don't think we're there for like uh, small and medium-sized business yet. I, th- I still think it's it's very much marketed towards large business and enterprise. I don't disagree with your with your your statement about the fact that the marketing is focused that direction. I do think the idea that somehow it's not applicable is is a bit off the mark. I think that, and I think the reason why that is um, 
is is because you know there's so many different components to this it's not just the orchestration if you were just looking at it just for the orchestration there are other ways to do orchestration it's not just dynamic tunnels we've had dynamic tunnels it's not just pbr we've had pbr it's doing it all together right and and the reality is is like we talked about you get past four routers in any of these things and some of these traffic engineering policy based routing um, you know, um, the, the idea that the whole network is managed as a fabric, like, yeah, you're not going to do it with two sites. Like that seems unlikely, but I don't think the, I don't think the, the barrier is as low as, you know, 10. I think the barrier is a bit lower. Now the, the question is, what are you trying to achieve at the end of the day? That's always the question. What are you trying to achieve? And does SD-WAN actually solve a problem for you or not? But I do agree that, um, you know, like it's not for, everybody yet but i think we're on that path to it's becoming ubiquitous i i think we're going to see a time in the future and i don't know when where sd wan and wan pretty much mean the same thing like <laughs> you yeah. know you're going to have you know the legacy wan which is the way we've done it for a long time and you're going to have sd wan which is a controller based dynamic tunnel policy based high level of visibility orchestrated network and that's just going to be the way that you do wan it doesn't matter what you buy like that's going to be the way they do it. And, you know, like you're, I don't think you're going to have the option to do it the old way. Um, you'll always have the option. Let me take that back. You'll always have the option, but I don't think it will be the primary. I think that, that most of the people are going to be going this direction, big, small or whatever. I don't think, it, it, you know, I just think there's so much value in it that, that that's where we're headed. So guys, this was a, a great conversation. Mike, you brought up a topic that I was hoping we'd get to that we didn't really get to. And that was sassy. Um, my my least favorite acronym in all of networking. <laughs> Thank you, Gartner, um, for that one. Um, but uh, maybe that's something we can we can have another conversation on security models and SE WAN because I think that that is uh, a very hot topic right now as people are trying to figure out how to do DIA and move to a distributed model. How exactly do we provide security when the traditional model was to bring it back to a hub? Right. And so like we're either re-architecting the network or we're not getting the efficiencies that we could possibly get out of the out of the SD-WAN. And so there's a lot of conversations happening around this, and I think we're going to see more. And so maybe that would be a good follow-up conversation to talk about not only SASE, but what do the models look like and why don't the traditional models work? So maybe uh, don't hold your breath, but we'll probably uh, get that on the schedule here in the near future because I think that would be a, a great chat. Um but yeah, I mean, I think that uh, if you enjoyed this episode, if you enjoyed this conversation, there's a lot like them, right? We have an entire catalog of uh, networking goodness you can find on networkcollective.com. Uh, if you'd like to subscribe and have these episodes pushed to you as soon as they're released, Network Collective can be found on all the regular podcast sites like iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and all of the rest of them. Uh, we love engaging with our audience. If you listen to the show, we want to talk with you. We just love talking with network engineers. Uh, so you can find us. We're on Twitter as NetCollectivePC. We're Network Collective on both Facebook and LinkedIn. And uh, I'm going to point this out because we haven't talked about it yet, Tony. Like we um, we stepped away from the membership stuff we were doing, and mm -hmm. we uh, we kind of changed the way that you could support the show. So this is the way that it works now. If you like this show and you want to support us, that's cool. We'd love to have you support us because we are independent. Um, we try to keep uh, sponsored content to a minimum. And so we'd love to have your support. If you'd like to see this going on and make sure that we have the resources that we need. Um, it's really simple. You go to networkcollective.com and you click on support. And for less than what you spend on coffee, probably in a week, definitely in a month. And for some of you, less than what you spend on one coffee. On if a you like coffee. On stuff, a yeah, coffee. <laughs> right. Five bucks a month. Um, you can support us and you can, you can keep the resources coming in because I mean, it takes a lot to, uh, pay for the hosting and the distribution and the editing and all the stuff that goes into the back end of the stuff, stuff you're probably not super interested in, but at the end of the day, uh, those bills keep coming to us and we'd like to make sure that they continue to get paid without inundating you with ads. Right. So it'd be cool if you go networkcollective.com, click on support. Uh, that's a great way. And now, now that everything's cleared out. You get access to the Slack through that. It's pretty cool. So if you want, you know, we've talked about the Slack a lot. It's this absolutely amazing resource. If you want access to the Slack to come uh, chat with some great network engineering um, minds like your own, it's a great place to troubleshoot. We have some testimonials of people who are like, it was worth crazy amounts of money. I got value out of it right away. You can go read other people's take on it because it's more valuable than mine. You're not going to believe me anyway. Uh, but, <laughs> but at the end of the day, it's a really, really great resource for network engineers. 
Um, now it's five bucks a month. It's super cheap. And that five bucks a month helps us support. There's a couple other features as well. You get ad free shows. So if you just really don't like ads, you can just get rid of them for a few bucks a month. And that's great. And uh, merch. I don't even know if most people know that we have merch, but we have merch on our site. You can go to the site you can click on merch. We have network collective shirts and coffee mugs and hoodies and whatever else. And if, if that's your thing and you want to support do whatever, uh, if you're a supporter, we sell them to you at cost. We don't make any money off of them if you're a supporter because you're already helping us. So, uh, so that'd be cool if, uh, if some of you would be willing to do that. And I think that about wraps it up. So uh, thanks to all. Uh, thanks to Mike and thanks for Tony for coming on and, and chatting tonight. Thanks for everyone who listened. And we will uh, see you next time. 